L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is not with us today. They call me Ben. You are you. It just might be the end of the world. Welcome to stuff <laughs> they don't want you to know. They already got Noel. Quite possibly. Quite possibly. <laughs> uh, so this is a uh, this is a weird thing that we found out about a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and we've been looking into this off the air ever since we wanted to bring it to you our episodes come out on Fridays typically mm-hmm. and that means that if you are listening to this podcast the day it comes out then it is September 22nd 2017. You've, you have hours to live. Mere hours. According to some people, uh, several of whom we will examine in depth today, mm-hmm. uh, that is the day before the beginning of the end of the world on September 23rd, 2017. Oh boy, this is a doozy one, everyone. I cannot wait to delve into it with you. So let's look at the current science thinking about the end of the world. So it can it can occur in any number of ways. We've talked about some of these before in the past. Gamma ray bursts, you know, nukes. Nukes could end the world. Well, they could at least end humanity, maybe not all life. Uh, they're impact events. 
they're they're definitely in the running. Then we're talking uh, what else? Oh yeah, an impact event is when an extraterrestrial object, an object from the heavens, not like a uh, a, a beanie baby owned by an extraterrestrial, uh, the like an asteroid or a meteor, right? An asteroid, a meteor, a comet, what have you? A gigantic space rock physically hits Earth. Uh, that's scary. Yeah. And, well, yeah, it is. It's kind of also, uh, it, it gives us a, a sense of hopelessness because, uh, forget what Armageddon showed you. That's a blockbuster <laughs> film from yesteryear. Uh, there's not really a proven or reliable way to deflect something that size. If humanity does not win any of these morbid lotteries, the most probable final curtain call for planet Earth as we know it will be absorption by the sun in about 7.5 billion years, 7.59 actually. That's uh, crazy. After the sun becomes a red giant and physically expands beyond Earth's orbit. Wow. So it's like it's eating the planet. Yeah, yeah. And wh- what can you do about that? Um, Just get off. Get away. Yeah. Go it, to a different place. I mean, long story short, that's a real kick in the pants so far as we know. It's unavoidable unless our particular brand of ape grows much, much more intelligent beforehand. And, you know, we've got a little bit of a runway, assuming mm-hmm. we don't kill each other in the interim, right? Yeah, yeah, that runway is pretty wide. I, I accept it. However, according to uh, this group that <laughs> we got a notification from via email, uh, Certain astronomical and or astrological signs point to the beginning of the end occurring this year. As we said, if you are listening to this the day it came out, tomorrow. It's happening tomorrow. Yeah. Call your mom. For real. You should just call her anyway. You know, just <laughs> yeah. in case. If you could call your mom, say hi. Uh, so we're going to look at the nature of this group, its motivations, its fears, and well, perhaps most importantly, the logic behind its beliefs. We need to delve into religious sources. So mm-hmm. as always, uh, we would like to issue the following disclaimer. We're not telling you what to believe. Mm-hmm. That's up to you. Uh, we are reporting what the, this group believes, mm-hmm. right? And these followers of the sign. And of course, if there are views of theirs with which you don't agree, we invite you to, uh, write into us via, uh, your favorite social media platform or our email and, uh, you know, let us know what you think they got right or wrong. Yeah, and the source material that we're using for this is the Bible, specifically the New International Version. So we're going to read some of that as we try and piece together what this group believes. And let's fast forward past the part about the um, the echo chamber and the telephone game of various self-serving revisions or iterations of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're jumping right in to the NIV. So whether you believe uh, the Bible is the true word of God or not, or just a book, you know, whatever it is, one thing's for sure. Revelation is full of some, uh, let's call it psychedelic visions, some material. Uh, so let's get into the prologue of Revelation in case you're unaware of what it is. It's uh, a vision that was given to uh, John, St. John, who it was given to him by God. And it was about essentially what's going to occur on Earth, uh, a bunch of these prophecies so he was told all of these prophecies when he was, quote, in the spirit, and he was told – they were told to him by 
an angel or God or some representation of God. Um, that's kind of just the TLDR. Okay. A, a loud voice like a trumpet. Yeah, a loud voice like a trumpet, but it was this glowing being that had a sword coming out of his mouth. And it's the, um, it's the, the stuff that John describes in that pat, in that book is, mm-hmm. uh, is thought to be the prophecy of the return of Jesus Christ. Exactly. Okay, so let's jump down to chapter 12 where there's a specific vision given to John. So I guess we should just read this. Will you do a voice? No. Do you want me to do a voice? Yeah, sure. A great sign appeared in the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Wow. Right? Pretty psychedelic. And, uh, as, as a side note here, of course, personally, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the, uh, archaic language that's used in earlier iterations of the Bible. This is, this is a very interesting book to biblical scholars. Oh, we should go ahead and say, you know, spoiler alert. There's, there's this huge war that breaks out in heaven. Uh, the angel Michael and his crew of angels fight against the dragon. The dragon's also got some angels. Yeah, and dragon is essentially in place for the devil here or Satan or some version of that. Right, and uh, that's the story. On a per- on a personal note, I have to say, I know this doesn't really apply to today's episode. Uh, I've always preferred the more archaic, uh, highfalutin um, and a little bit more obscure language of earlier iterations of the Bible, but they will tend to say the same thing. And this is a very fascinating book for biblical scholars. You can read all sorts of theories about the authorship of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the possible allegorical nature of the contents. And then uh, I know some of us will, uh, of course, be aware of the theory that uh, St. John was somehow hallucinating. Sure. Uh, right. Uh, possibly do. I mean, and this ties into the idea of whether or not people were actively using hallucinogenic substances as a sacrament mm-hmm. uh, in in this time period. But – there is whether you consider yourself a Christian or someone with, I guess, Christian influences in your own spiritual path. There's no two ways around it. There's no four ways. There's no nine ways. Pick a number. Mm-hmm. There, there's no number of ways around it. Uh, this particular passage or this particular part of the book that is commonly known as the Christian Bible has left an indelible and fundamental mark on the culture of humanity globally, you know, even in even in places where there are no practicing Christians, people are aware of the these sorts of passages and this sort of belief. So it's also um, inspiration for a lot of things in history and in the modern day. And it's also 
um, often uh, pointed to as inarguable or solid proof of something. And the people who are, uh, well, in many cases, people who believe that the world is going to end within their lifetimes in some doomsday scenario uh, do point to spiritual sources. And then a lot of people who don't believe any spiritual sources or that particular um, religious text will discount it based on that. So that's that's the crux of the argument. Yes. And Revelation has been used as the blueprint for a lot of those uh, doomsday scenarios and predictions in the past. In 2003, it happened. In 2012, it was used um, and then like converted into the mind calendar. And now this latest one we're going to talk about today believes that this prophecy in Revelation deals with an astronomical alignment of the stars as a sign. Here's where it gets crazy, which I know happens a little early in this episode. Uh, the stars are actually aligning. And uh, Matt, I think you can give us a little bit of a, a rough play-by-play of this. Yes, according to believers, on September 23rd, 2017, the stars and planets in the heavens above really will be arranged to meet the exact specifications described in Revelation. So let's take a look. If we, as they interpret. Yeah, as they, as they interpret. That, this is, yes. Um, so if you go on Stellarium, an open source planetarium, uh, you can go like plug in the date and you can see the following things when you look towards the constellation Virgo. Uh, it's a, a virgin character. It's important and let's, let's get into this really fast. So, uh, if we go back to the story, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. Well, guess what? If you look at the constellation Virgo, you're going to see the sun near her left shoulder and the moon is going to be down at her left foot. Okay, check and check. Uh, the crown of 12 stars on this woman's head. The constellation Leo, which is located just above Virgo's head in the sky. It's got nine bright stars that make up the constellation, and it's going to be joined by Mercury, Venus, and Mars, these three planets, which makes 12 bright spots in the sky if you're looking up. Okay, check. Now, the whole part about her giving birth is a little iffy, but for the sake of argument, uh, Jupiter, another planet, is going to be near Virgo's left knee, kind of, in her pelvic area down in there. Perhaps it could be viewed that Jupiter is being birthed from Virgo. So according to these believers, this is the real deal. This is the sign that everyone has been waiting for uh, and surely is exactly what John had envisioned. And people also think this alignment is somehow unique in human history. Is that correct? Yeah, that, you'll, you'll see it in videos and stated all over the Internet. So fast, 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 fast forward to the modern day. St. John is uh, gone to meet his reward. Right. Uh, there's there's no one arguing and he is alive now. The idea is that he saw something that would occur many, 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 many years after his physical demise. There is another piece of lore that interacts here, and it is known as Niburu. Uh, longtime listeners and fans of our video series, our former video series, are familiar with Niburu, the alleged missing planet or Planet X or Planet 10. Kind of like an iPhone thing going on here, mm -hmm. you know? Let's paint some quick contextual background here. Let's broad brush the scene. There are multiple allegations of a hidden or undiscovered or lost planet beyond the bounds of our known solar system. 
Planet X was this placeholder name that was used by astronomers while they searched for a planet beyond Neptune's orbit, right? Because Pluto was discovered relatively recently in the scheme of things. And uh, the way that it was found is a fascinating story in and of itself. Uh, what astronomers would do at the most base level explanation, right, uh, is uh, like if we did it in just a couple sentences, we would say astronomers know what the orbit of a planet should be based on the other objects they know exist, right? The other planets in our solar system and the sun. And then when they notice that there are anomalies or irregularities in there, perturbations, uh, essentially, uh, then they can say, well, something else must be exercising gravitational force here. And if we calculate this correctly, then we could also uh, know a little bit more about whatever this unknown force is, and then boom, Pluto. They did find Pluto, and you're probably, if you're old enough to listen to a podcast, you're probably familiar with the idea of Pluto, uh, poor ever the dwarf planet, never the planet Pluto. Uh, Pluto now officially exists as a dwarf planet because they had some really difficult times drawing the line of how to de- define a planet. Today, many people who use the term Planet X or Nibiru use those phrases interchangeably, right? Like Zachariah Stitchin is an author who does that. However, uh, Nibiru as just a concept is a little different. It has ancient origins. It was a word used by the Sumerians, most likely to describe uh, a heavenly character Matt uh, just described earlier, the planet Jupiter. And in Babylonian astronomy, Nibiru refers to the equinox. But, of course, not all hidden planet theories are created equally or even given the same degree of serious considerations. So we have some examples of different hidden planet, I guess, what would be the right word? Theories? Yeah, probably the most fair word. Um, and we have a few, we have a few favorites. Matt, you had mentioned one from 2003, right? I just, yeah, I just want to jump in here and say that, uh, the second part of that vision, the red dragon that appears out of nowhere, that is thought to by these groups and by groups in the past to be Nibiru or Planet X. Like it would make an appearance okay. if these if these stars align in this way. Very important. Thank you for thank you for in, uh, putting that in there because now we see that this dragon, which was commonly for a long time interpreted as Satan or mm-hmm. Lucifer, the fallen one or Ha Satan, uh, is now also being conflated with. Uh, the, the dragon being uh, a heavenly, a physical heavenly mm-hmm. object. Uh, and then there are, of course, people who I imagine would say it's all of the above. Right? Yeah. It's, it is a physical object and it is the primary force of darkness, ironically called the light bringer. So let's, uh, yeah, let's get into, oh man, that makes so much sense, Ben. The light bringer, this scary, possibly sun or planet that just plows through. It reminds me of the Fifth Element. Do you remember the the planetary bad guy from the mm, Fifth Element? Yeah, who uh, would talk to Gary Oldman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I envision in my head when I think about this thing. I never understood why he had that plastic plate on his forehead. It, yeah, it was protective, I'm sure. From what? Good taste? Good fashion sense? Maybe water. Maybe it was like a rain thing. He had a microchip in there and it was – 
you know, his head's porous. So. Well, yeah, I've, I've never, uh, I will probably never live in the, uh, fifth element universe. <laughs> okay. So I don't have the, uh, I don't have the wherewithal to criticize those choices. And you know what? Gary Oldman is a great actor. And if that was his idea and he's listening now, well, uh, Mr. Oldman, I commend your performance. Uh, I may not agree with how you got there, uh, fashion wise. <laughs> but who am I to say? I I can almost 100% tell you that it was not his choice. It's the end of the world, Matt. I'm firing okay, shots okay. at everybody. Okay, so uh, in the 1990s and early 2000s, this person named Nancy Leader claimed, L-I-E-D-E-R, she claimed that a 10th planet, Planet X, would pass by Earth in 2003, and because of the grav- gravitational pull, it would cause cataclysmic events, and it might even bring along an alien inv- invasion as, you know, the people who live on that planet hop off and come on down. And let's jump in here real quick because th- this is a very important thing to, to say. Mm-hmm. Whenever there is a, a a foretelling, a prophecy of a disaster or a cataclysm or some some specific event to which cataclysmic events will be tied mm-hmm. across the globe – it becomes so easy to say that that prophecy was true. You know, it, unfortunately, that's the nature of reality. If, for instance, um, one of us now were to have an epileptic seizure and come out of it, epileptic seizures oftentimes uh, being confused with moments of prophecy throughout mm-hmm. a lot of history. Uh, if one of us were to have uh, a seizure and then come out of it saying, well, in 2019, there's going to be a flood, we would be correct because there are floods every year. Yeah, it gets a little harder when you're talking about planets coming in from the Oort cloud or, you know, from far, far away because mm. <laughs> it's harder to yeah. predict those. I'm just saying it's like there was a uh, – I think he may have been a statistician who – made what appeared to be this spot-on supernatural prophecy. And Whoa. it turned out that he just used statistical data from earlier years Smart. to predict a plane crash. Wow. Which is also terrifying, right? Yep. So uh, as far as we know, not an alien invasion. Uh, there were cataclysmic events in 2003, but there were not reports of a large – a planet-sized object in close orbit with the Earth. Uh, this this led us to another thing that happens often with doomsday scenarios, which is um, it was sort of rationalized. Mm-hmm. And after the 2003 date passed, the story became incorporated in the 2012 uh Mayan calendar apocalypse prediction. Yeah, the end of the Mayan calendar, there's nothing else that happens after that on the calendar, so it must be the end of the world, right? Mm, right. I was at a Joe Rogan show that night. December, oh, were you? Tw- December 21st. Oh, that's right. I think you mentioned that. It was awesome. It was a great show? Yeah, fantastic show. Joe, for, Joey Coco Diaz was there, and so was Duncan <laughs> Truss. I'm glad, I'm glad all of you had a great time and made it out alive. Mm-hmm. So as we said, we mentioned uh, Zechariah Stitchin, who writes a bit about this. Uh, as we said, 
Planet X and Nibiru are often conflated. Uh, he refers to this as the 12th planet. His original prediction was that Nibiru would return in 2085. Ooh. And right now, again, as you're listening to this, if it's the day before the world ends, you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder what's going through, uh, Z-Man's head right now, you know, uh, through, through Mr. Stitchin's head. Uh, does he think that his calculations were off or does he think that something different is happening? Hmm. There, We mentioned that these are not all created equally. There was another thing, uh, another event or proposal, a theory, uh, much more recently that came from the opposite end of the spectrum. So there's the Cooper belt, right? And in January – this is crazy. Uh, of last year, there were uh, some scientists, and we're talking mainstream scientists. Who went on the news. Who went on the news and uh, said that there were eccentric orbits in some of the bodies in the Kuiper belt, and they could be explained by the presence of a ninth, not tenth, remember, because mm-hmm. by this time Pluto's a dwarf planet, a ninth planet that was a bit less massive than Neptune or <laughs> – yeah, Uranus. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that joke never gets old. Uh, that this planet was a bit less massive than those other two planets, and that would move in an extremely eccentric orbit around the sun, and in this orbit would take thousands of years to complete. Yeah, ten like to twenty thousand years. It is crucial at this point to note that this is a hypothetical thing. Yeah, this is not accepted. Uh, this is. This is similar to um, – this is just a, a possible explanation. I was going to say that it's similar to uh, the first proposals of continental drift wherein mm. one scientist said, well, I noticed these uh, edges of continents and some topographical features seem to line up. And that scientist was pretty careful to say, I'm not saying yeah. how or yeah. why, but I'm I'm just saying – Look. Yeah, it's the same deal here. You're, you're seeing the irregularities in orbits of objects A through X, and you think, well, perhaps there's object Z that mm. would, there, that gravitational pull might be the reason for this. That's all you can say. So, yeah, our point is that there are people also in the ivory tower or the ivory observatory arguing that something may indeed be up. Just as there are multiple allegations of a hidden planet there are multiple predictions for the behavior of oh, yeah. this heavenly object. So it might hit Earth. That's the uh, that's the Earth <laughs> shatters. <laughs> that was just the pop sound uh-huh. out in space where yeah, nothing yeah. makes a sound, uh, unless you're in the you know as the atmosphere is getting mm-hmm. destroyed. Mm-hmm. It might come so close to Earth that it just disrupts civilization. Like we're talking about earthquakes, we're talking about sure. making things go a little crazy on there. Yes, it, yeah, sort of like uh, like when a uh, if you're stuck on a crowded train and a really sweaty person just has to like squeeze by you and leave all their weird juices on you and like you kind of survive but you smell. It's like that. But <laughs> if you also had hurricanes and floods and earthquakes and, and died. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, and then um... – <laughs> Exactly? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's, of course, the third option, which is the biblical wormwood, a Mm. heavenly object uh, thought to be a bright burning star that is also evil and corrupts, uh, what is it, a third of the planet? 
Yeah. Or, you know, or are they actually talking about Wormwood? Or are they actually talking about Wormwood? So, so far we've given a, a little bit of a look at some of the astrological, astronomical happenings, uh, some of the rough history of Planet X slash Nibiru, some of the worries about what could happen to the Earth, some of which are very real, but we haven't talked specifically about the people who believe that you are quite possibly listening to the very last podcast you will ever listen to. And by the way, we are so flattered you chose us. We will get to a story of one of the most well-known proponents of this theory after a word from our sponsors. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... We are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC 
was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So earlier we mentioned believers, but let's get a little more specific. If you look into this um, online or maybe at your local library, hmm. if it has a computer, yeah. you'd be yeah, online you <laughs> at your local library. Uh, one of the most prominent and or well-known proponents of this particular doomsday genre is a fellow named David Mead, who is often described as a Christian numerologist. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of the library, Ben, you might actually find it there because David Mead has written several books. And one of them is called Planet X 2017, The Arrival. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this, he has uh, he has a number of arguments. His his argument really hinges and uh, heavily relies on verses from the Christian Bible, coupled with what he perceives to be this powerful numerological pattern hinging on the number thirty three. Yeah, and there are several reasons that he has this belief. And according to himself, quote. Jesus lived for 33 years. The name Elohim, which is the name of God to the Jews, was mentioned 33 times in the Bible. And it's also, he thinks it's uh, very significant numerologically to the Bible itself. Uh, He says, I'm talking astronomy, I'm talking the Bible, and merging the two. Interesting. Yes, interesting indeed. The latest or most recent heavenly phenomenon that a lot of people are familiar with now uh, would be the total solar eclipse that took place just earlier this August, Mm -hmm. August 21st, 2017. And Mead also points out this was 33 days before September 23rd. 33, man. I feel like it's going to be scrawled all over the walls pretty soon. Jim Carrey is going to come out and... Wasn't that 23? Yeah, it was. So... Yes, there there are these multiple instances of people finding a particular number, and once they find it, there's a little bit of a Bader-Meinhof syndrome. Yes, some you know a skeptic would say, which is, uh, no, you're not in some fantastical uh, alter universe where people just say the word. Uh, what's a weird, shenanigan? Yeah. Shenanigans pretty common. Okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, maybe people that's say the word uh, Flugendorf. Perfect. Yeah. Wait, is that an actual? That word? might not be. Know. You know, you might not be in some alternate universe where people say that. It might just come up in conversation. You yeah. notice it. Yeah. What? And if someone can fill us in on the definition of what was that, Matt? Flugendorf. Please write in. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, send us an email. Send us what uh, you think of Flugendorf is. Uh, we will consult it the same way that Mead consults and focuses particularly upon the book of Revelations. Uh, that includes the verses we quoted earlier, but also many 
more. Yeah, I think Revelation 6 is also prominent in David Mead's uh, visions of Ooh. what he thinks is going to happen. And he, you know, rather than just being stars and planets when you look up, he thinks this is very much symbolic. Yes, yeah, he believes the object we will see is Nibiru, the alleged hidden planet of all this conspiracy lore. The red dragon. Mm, Right? Uh, Planet X. Mm -hmm. This will, according to him, signal the beginning of the end, ushering along fire and storms, hurricanes, lightning, and other types of massive destruction. Yeah. So the woman in the dragon is of primary interest to Mr. Mead. He uh, he believes the woman is represented by Virgo, as we were kind of saying before. And those nine stars, the three planets equals the twelve, uh, the the star, the twelve stars in the crown. The planet Jupiter, he really believes that uh, is going to be inside of Virgo, and it kind of will inside her womb. And then there was another theorist named Gary Ray who really goes into the whole interpretation of birthing uh, Jupiter, essentially, out of Virgo. And again, Mead doesn't believe this will be the instant, immediate, finger-snap end of humanity. Instead, he thinks it will lead to a series of catastrophic but inevitably escalating events. And we have a quote from him here where he says, The world is not ending, but the world as we know it is ending. A major part of the world will not be the same as the beginning of October. Mm. And I, I wanted to emphasize this. Uh, because, sure, it sounds like something will definitely happen, but I think that's a major part of the world uh, is is pretty vague. It's pretty vague, yeah. and, you know, you're giving a nice time frame there, too, um, sometime oh, in the beginning of October. Something will happen. Yeah, and well, okay, so I've seen other videos and writings online that have said – that yes, this is the end. Within hours of the red dragon appearing, there are going to be just asteroids and meteors striking the earth. There's going to be fire on the entire planet and it's going to be over within a day. This is not what David Mead believes for sure. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. So it's not, um, seven years of suffering or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in, in original theories. And he's saying, well, it could be. Who knows how long? There are definitely going to be major changes, I think, is what Mead is saying. If, you know, if mm-hmm. his uh, beliefs come true, maybe fires will be happening. Maybe power structures will begin to change. And maybe tomorrow I will feel bad for being a little bit skeptical. Yeah, maybe. But for people who think this is a load of uh, hogwash or to – or maybe let's call it uh, – pseudoscientific mm-hmm. or uh, an extended interpretation. Sure. You know, Mead has uh, more than a few critics, and these are the same sort of criticisms that they, they throw at him. Scientist at NASA – I think the the word I used when I was doing some of these notes was find him particularly onerous. Mm. I, Despite his interview saying that he had received confirmation of Nibiru from these highly placed astronomers – uh, people doing work in the academy and in uh, for the government, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he's also received criticism from other people who are of the Christian faith. Yeah, you've got Ed Stetzer, 
He's a professor and executive director of Wheaton's College, Billy Graham Center for Evangelism. So he uh, he took a look at how Mead's kind of describing this event in articles in on the media. And he says, quote, there's no such thing as a Christian numerologist. You basically got a made up expert in a made up field talking about a made up event. Jeez. That, that was me pulling out of the quote. Let's continue. I don't think people say geez to themselves <laughs> like that. Yeah. That might work, though. That was the reporter or whoever he was talking to. <laughs> like, wow, man, shade. Uh, let's get back into the quote. It sort of justifies that there's a special secret number code in the Bible that nobody believes. Hmm. And And for the record, to be fair, David Mead has never – self-described as a Christian numerologist. No, but he definitely likes numbers and thinks they hold great significance. And uh, he describes himself as a researcher who studied astronomy at a university in Kentucky. We don't oh. know which university. But one. But yeah, but there is there is one. Uh, and according to his website, he worked in forensic investigations and spent 10 years working for some successful companies, corporations, and of course, as Matt had mentioned earlier, is the author of several books, the most recent one being Planet X, the 2017 arrival. How convenient. Or, you know, he's trying to warn people. And right. that's the thing. Like when when you're dealing with something like this, what if David Mead truly, truly believes this and wants to get the word out? Mm -hmm. That's It's tough when you think of it skeptically, but also have to imagine the man himself and, mm -hmm. you know, what are his intentions? So Stetzer has questions from a uh, – it's weird because when you hear a lot of skepticism, you often hear it from what uh, the what the critics would consider a an objective viewpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Like if someone has a problem with what you're saying and they are a scientist in that particular field, they're not going to necessarily attack your motivations. They're going to look at the science behind correct, it. Correct, correct. And – this is interesting because Stetzer himself is a religious man, you know, mm -hmm. and he has strong objections to David Mead's ideas because he believes that whenever someone tells you they have found a secret code in the Bible, everything else he or she says can be discounted. Jeez. And he noted that uh, in Christianity, no one is supposed to know the day or the hour of this momentous event, right, or Jesus Christ's return. Yeah, but, and it's it's weird that Stetzer and Mead and all these other people are kind of conflating all these different things as one, like the uh, when Jesus comes back in the rapture and all this kind of thing, or perhaps a cataclysmic event uh, occurring or Planet X returning, and it's all becomes one thing when really these, you know, depending on what you believe, these might be all separate Instances, oh, yeah. you know, and Stetzer obviously does. Stetzer doesn't agree with what uh, Mead would propose or what other Planet X people would propose. But you're right; it's an excellent point about uh, conflation. Mm -hmm. You know, so <laughs> this this is to me one of the one of the like the Larry David moments of this podcast. Okay, and I say this with all due respect. So we've looked at spiritual critics. Um, on the scientific side, there is a scientist, a senior scientist at NASA. His name is Dr. David Morrison. I love this guy. And for years, he has been debunking these different claims uh, mm -hmm. about Nibiru, also answering questions about it mm -hmm. from the public. Um, and he argues 
the same thing pretty often. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as this Nibiru idea, either as a brown dwarf, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of, um, a lot of Nibiru believers would describe it as. And regardless, there's nothing currently on a collision course to Earth in a way that we can see. Yeah, it's all about or close, close by, right? Exactly. Uh, he, he makes some great points. And this guy really has a grandfather factor where, you know, it just makes you want to listen to him. He seems endearing. You're just like, Oh, all right, man. I hear you. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's, it's, it's kind of nice. And he's very reassuring. Like everything's going to be okay. And that he's a NASA scientist. That's nice. So, uh, Dr. Morrison argues that were these collision course, uh, claims true and to be believed, astronomers all over the place would be able to see whatever object is coming at us because it would emit light. You'd be able to see it. People would notice even, even just casual telescope owners, uh, like my buddy Scott, he would have, uh, pointed his, his telescope up at the sky and you'd probably be able to see it. Even people without telescopes might be able to see it depending on how bright it is. Mm-hmm. And then additionally, if it were, if it were real and if it were a planet with substantial mass, then it would already be um, altering or perturbing the uh, orbits of Mars and Earth. Yes, right? exactly. So the argument is that we would see the orbits of other easily visible planets changing, right? Yeah, but what if, okay, so let's really fast. What if it is on this huge elliptical orbit that does take 20,000 years? Mm-hmm. I don't know the science behind this, and I don't know how much this has been looked into, but I'm sure it has. But if it was on that massive orbit and it hasn't been seen, like, it's on this, uh, the far-reaching side, I guess, the far ends of its orbit around the sun. Yeah. I wonder how long that time span would be to where you couldn't see it. I see, yeah. Because it's, you know, uh, way out there past Pluto. I don't know. I, I I worry about that a little bit. I, mm. I need I need more Dr. Morrison to uh, just reassure me. I think. So, I I think he has reassured people, or he's definitely presented NASA's side of the argument. Yeah, the stance. Right. The problem is that this, although it does sound funny, you can kind of picture the Larry David music for mm-hmm. this guy who has to wake up every day. And try to convince people that the world's not ending. Um, I'm sure he does a wealth of other things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying this is my pitch. This is my pitch for this as a TV show. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing him in 2012 when he – or like right before uh, uh-huh. the whole thing happened. He was just like, guys, no, everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. According to his estimate, Dr. Morrison, that is, there are – over 2 million sites that talk about this collision of Earth with mm-hmm. Nibiru. He says he gets uh, around five emails about it every day. Wow. And – You know people are just forwarding at NASA. They're just forwarding Dr. Mm-hmm. Morrison everything. This is from 2000 <laughs> – th- this is from before 2012. Okay, okay. Um, so I don't – I imagine it may be picking up now. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least once a week – this is the – Part of the problem, at least once a week, he says, I get a message from a young person as young as 11 who says they are ill and or contemplating suicide because of the coming doomsday. Wow. So if you get five of those a day, you know, the, there goes your whole day. I feel Ugh. like you have to answer these. Yeah. That, yeah, there, you don't do anything else besides hopefully grab a bite to eat and then get some sleep. 
Uh, so it continues, but it may all end tomorrow. Well, yeah. So we've heard the arguments from all the different sides, people's viewpoints, the prophecies. How likely is it that the world is going to end tomorrow while you're listening to this podcast? Huh. Well, there are several things we need to consider first, and we'll get to those right after a word from our sponsor. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top 
of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the first thing we have to take into account is that this celestial alignment, mm-hmm. it has, in fact, occurred before. According to this guy, Christopher M. Graney, he's a professor of physics and astronomy at Jefferson Community and Technical College in Louisville. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yes, he's a professor, and he's writing in The Catholic Astronomer, which is uh, a vlog for the Vatican Observatory. Mm-hmm. He says, quote, This basic arrangement happened before in September 1827, September 1483, 1293, and 1056. And he says he only searched back uh, about a thousand years, and there are undoubtedly other examples outside of that time period where this basic arrangement occurred, where you've got Virgo and Leo, the sun and the moon, and mm-hmm. the planets. I mean, that's something to take into account at least, that it's not a once-in-a-lifetime – well, perhaps it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but it's not a, you know – Once-in-a-civilization thing. Sure. Once in a reality. Or maybe it's already occurred and uh, we are living in some version of the universe where it did. Ooh. I mean, clearly I would like this version of the universe better. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Unending darkness is an alternate reality. But hopefully one day we can either prove those exist and make the make the wildest dreams of every science fiction author and fan ever come true. Mm-hmm. Or – uh, at least, you know, prove it doesn't exist. Well, I'm getting into another podcast <laughs> yeah. at this point. If I'm, I'm already considering multiple realities. So uh, just really fast, one of the yeah. other things that Professor Graney says is that uh, – I'm just going to read this quote. Yes, multiple planets being at Virgo's head while Jupiter is in Virgo's center and the moon is at Virgo's feet is somewhat unusual. But it's not that unusual. The period of Jupiter's orbit is a little less than 12 years. That's kind of interesting, right? Um, so it takes 12 years to go around the sun. And therefore, Jupiter will be in Virgo with the sun there too and the moon at the feet once every 11 or 12 years. So, again, he's just trying to say, hey, the star part is maybe not as important as some of these people are saying. And, right. And he's writing in the Catholic, uh, the Catholic astronomer, which is – Kind of cool. You're, you're getting that um, religious angle again. And there's also – right. There's also been these um, allegations that pop up or I guess rumors or copy pasta, call it what you want, where someone says, you know, the Catholic Church is secretly preparing for the arrival of this mm. planet, right? Ooh. I, that would be cool You know, and that, messed up. It's the thing though is when you talk about an organization that size, like the Catholic Church, it's quite possible that there's a group of people in the Catholic Church who decided to prepare for something that they think is coming. Yeah. And it might be a case where no one is more surprised to learn that than the Catholic Church. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) Oh man. But the point remains, 
it, it is true. These situations may not be as unique as um, other other people believe them to be, mm-hmm. right? So let's consider this question of David Mead because there's there's some wiggle room with mm-hmm. the beginning of the end, right? So what if, as Matt had mentioned earlier, right, it doesn't signal an immediate immediate end, not with a bang, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. with a whimper, to quote T.S. Eliot. And instead, this this heavenly alignment becomes a harbinger of some terrible future event or series of events that would alter the course of human history. Currently, to Mr. Mead's point, currently there's some pretty unsustainable stuff going on in the world right now. Oh, yeah. And – I would say that, relatively speaking, that's always been the case. Yes, yes. A series of just horrific and tragic shenanigans. Just a few more steps and then, you know, humanity is on the brink at any time throughout history. (laughs) So what are some examples? Okay, well, so some really good examples would be if we take a look at the Democratic People's Republic of Korea or North Korea. And we've mentioned it on this show numerous times, but... At this moment in history, tensions are ratcheting up again between the United States and other Western powers, you know, with North Korea. They fired two missiles off the bow of neighboring Japan on August 28th and the 15th of September of this year. So twice in a row shot two missiles over Japan. They also uh, held another nuclear test, at least according to the U.S. uh, Geological Survey, who was you know, they're doing the nuclear detection that we talked about during the Vela incident episode mm-hmm. right. where where you can detect if a nuke has been set off by basically testing the ground. And if the ground is shaking in certain ways, you know, one's gone off. And they did confirm that one went off on September 3rd. So, uh, yikes. Also, the U.N. Security Council just approved more sanctions against the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. And then we had uh, just this past Tuesday... President Trump spoke at the U.N. General Assembly, the United Nations, and he had some very choice quotes uh, for North Korea. We Should we read some of these, Ben? Yeah, lay one on me. He says, The scourge of our planet today is a small group of rogue regimes that violate every principle on which the United Nations is based. If the righteous many do not confront the wicked few, then evil will triumph. No one has shown more contempt for other nations and for the well-being of their own people than the depraved regime in North Korea. And as we've said before, uh, there's a certain kind of language that the people will use in geopolitics. And one thing that the the United States does and and a bunch of other Western countries, Mm -hmm. too, is that when you want to avoid describing something as a government when you want to make another country's governing structure look illegitimate call it a regime yep, regime because it seems so temporary and like it was instated by its own accord and not by some other you know right, a not democratic by international process. Yeah. recognition right yeah exactly and it is it is true that there's an accelerating um an accelerating situation in that part of the world, right? Because, oh, yeah. Uh, China in China, Russia, and the U.S. all have skin in the game. Yeah, 
and they're, uh, they're, all three countries have world altering force projection abilities yes, in yes. one way or another, right? Economically, in the field of energy, and of course, military force. Yeah. So then Trump went on to say, no nation on earth has an interest in seeing this band of criminals arm itself with nuclear weapons and missiles. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Which is, by the way, n- not, uh, not the language of negotiation. Not the language you say at the UN General Assembly while you're in front of delegations of all the countries, especially North Korea, which was seated right in front of him. Oh, okay. So it's like a act of provocation. That's exactly what it is. And the right after that, Ben. Mm-hmm. I, now look, I wouldn't believe this unless I transcribed it myself and I watched the live feed. His next quote is, Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. He called Kim Jong-un Rocket Man. Like, right there in front of everybody. I I mean, depending on how you feel about Elton John, that could be a compliment. <laughs> and the way right. he said it, too, was Rocket Man. <laughs> I oh, can whoa. see that that's the cadence. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret to a, a good uh, a good impression. But the president, yeah, yeah. speak like you're uh, with the cadence of Rocket Man. But just still, it, you could feel the tension, right? And we, you know, uh, especially you, Ben, with your your background, you understand and can see kind of the chess pieces. But I think for me and uh, some other people, it's it's like it. It just seems scary, I guess, when there are powerful countries talking like this, and the way North Korea, you know talks to the United States and other countries. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because we're we're talking about a country, the United States with an executive branch and uh this executive branch has the controlling power of the army. Yes. Not all you know, not not all countries are that way. Yeah. Not all presidents have constitutionally been assigned uh, foreign interactions mm-hmm. in, in in this manner. And every country practices some sort of political theater. With that being said, the current military might of the United States makes this a – it makes this something that other countries are going to pay attention to across the planet. Yes. Because if, if – if the big guns are in a bad mood, <laughs> oh man, you don't right? want that. You don't. Want Every that. everybody's everybody becomes wary, right? and it's weird because it it also made me think of recently there was a man that a lot of people probably have, have heard of but don't remember his name. Uh, he passed away. Uh, oh, his name was Stanislav Petrov. Yeah, and. He was working in a submarine, and he was a radar guy mm-hmm. for the Soviets. And he was monitoring uh, radar in Moscow when the Cold War was in full effect in 1983. And the instruments showed that the United States had launched a salvo of nuclear weapons directly at Russia. Just five. 
five. Yeah. But I, I think saying just five, we'll talk about nuclear <laughs> Just five weapons. nukes. Yeah, you know. I hear you get the sixth one free. Yeah. You know what I mean? But the the whole point was that he he was really confused because everything that he was taught was that if the U.S. did launch nukes, it mm-hmm. would be countless. Like, there would be so many you wouldn't be able to even really understand how many nukes are coming at you. Right. And his uh, his subordinates were panicking, mm-hmm. but he kept his wits, and uh, Petrov decided not to retaliate. And sure. later they learned it was a good thing because the radar reading was false. It was generated by sunbeams reflecting off of clouds. How crazy is that? So although very few people in the U.S. could recall the name Stanislav Petrov off the top of their head, mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't. And although we can't recall this guy, he might have saved – he might have saved part of civilization. Oh, I think he absolutely did, at least in this multiverse. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Because, so, you know, think about that. that It probably would have triggered – no, it definitely would have. If he would have shot, retaliated, the U.S. then really does fire missiles, then Russia fires mm-hmm. more missiles or the Soviet Union fires more missiles. And I don't want to get too um, – I don't want to get too off the rails yeah. with North Korea, but the DPRK – does have nuclear capability, but as we mentioned on the show in the past, the ability to make a nuclear, like make a nuclear reaction occur, mm-hmm. uh, in the ability to weaponize that are very, very different. different things, yeah. right? Uh, very different things. And miniaturization is one of the tougher things, even more difficult is the idea of making a reliable, even one-time ICBM or intercontinental ballistic missile. And the big worry now is that they've evolved because they used to have these missiles called the Taibodong. And those things just, like they were the the best things the the military of DPRK had at the time. Mm -hmm. They were not good. They were terrible. They were just... Bad. I remember seeing tests that but didn't it's also, go so well. But it's also scary whenever someone says, let's build a rocket to blow things up. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not see how far we can make it go. Right. It's not like space exploration. Agreed. But you still need rockets for that. <laughs> see, it's <laughs> difficult to tell where people are going, where yeah. countries are going. So now the evolution towards the new types of missiles is extremely worrying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably seen things on your local news report of, of choice uh, about where they have the map and North Korea is in the center and then it shows a, a series of circles mm-hmm. right, uh, telling you the possible reach. At that point, or at this point, so far as we know, the missile technology is still not, not reliable over a long distance. It's possible to get yeah. there, but there are probably manufacturing defects. But it makes the people in South, you know, South Korea feel not so great. And you know what doesn't have a manufacturing defect? A suitcase. A uh, backpack. Stop. stop. You know, a Toyota Celica. Stop. Wait, are you in traffic right now? <laughs> listening to this? Look around. Oh, no. <laughs> when, you, when you get to a stoplight. So look, here's the deal. Even if neither of these countries, the United States or North Korea, does the unthinkable and actually launches a nuclear weapon and creates all-out nuclear war, uh, which could and likely would end the world as you know it, 
something else might happen here. The actions or some other type of intervention in North Korea could trigger World War III. And, you know, we've we've been through two of those so far as a world. Um, and I personally don't like our chances of making it out unscathed. Well, definitely scathed, but alive. I don't see us making it out alive of a third one. Who are we? Humans. Oh, okay. Everybody. Yeah. Nah, somebody will make it out. <laughs> yeah, Someone will make it out. It'll be a Cormac McCarthy situation, though. Uh, so, right. Well, there are also people who would argue that uh, we've already been in a world war uh, currently or are currently embroiled in one mm-hmm. uh, world war being defined as the superpowers yes. fighting, right? Not just the the normal uh, noise, the normal static of – uh, larger countries victimizing or exploiting smaller countries, right? Which that, is just the norm. That's just – that's peacetime mm-hmm. currently. Uh, yeah, it is It is true. The idea of proxy wars drawing in larger powers can absolutely happen and no one knows what that kind of large-scale open conflict would look like at this point. Yeah, it would be very different from anything we know. And some of the most dangerous weapons have – Never been used. Right? Yep. There's also, of course, the threat of terrorism and or other radical factions, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to the suitcase thing or the Toyota Celica thing. And look, no dings on Toyota Celicas. I just – I was trying to pick a specific example. <laughs> There's the idea of an attack via a, a so-called dirty bomb or yep. some other uh, tipping point – event to tip our hats to Malcolm Gladwell there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, lest we forget the unbridled fury of Earth itself, natural yeah. disasters. Oh, man, the hurricanes have been coming nonstop this season. We're on our third hurricane in as many weeks? No, it can't be three weeks. I th- it's, uh, well, it, isn't this four now? Yeah, we had Harvey, and there was another one there that kind of went away, and then Irma... And then Maria, and there's a, there are other ones, uh, and they're all just causing devastation in the Caribbean right now. Like right now, there was a hurricane. I think yesterday it just plowed through Puerto Rico. A hundred percent of the of Puerto Rico was without power unless, like, the power grid was yeah. knocked out. Terrifying stuff. Just the power of nature. And, and that's, people have generators, but that's yeah. not the same thing. Yeah, the hospital. I was listening to NPR, and they were saying one of the major hospitals had two or three days left of generator power, but they don't think the power will be restored for months. Like, that's that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And imagining that on an even larger scale is ugh, unthinkable. But, you know, that's just one aspect of nature that could attack us. Sure, droughts, famine, the, uh, the dangerous domino effect of ecological collapse. Mm-hmm. Right. People are most familiar with this idea uh, when neonicotinoids and other pesticides continue to like ravage bee populations. Mm -hmm. I think you can uh, scroll if you want to scroll all the way back through your Facebook feed to what year several years ago, you will see that uh, famously misattributed pseudo quotation with Ernest, uh, with not Ernest Hemingway, with Albert Einstein saying, when the bees disappear. Oh, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he didn't say that. 
I don't think so. But it was a scary time, and it is still a scary time for honeybee populations and other bee populations. The pollinators, the ones that actually make the the, the stuff that has flowers grow. Right. It's, it's freaking me out a little bit, but it's okay. You, I mean, you may not like flowers. You may not want a mouthful of bees. I can't blame you for either of those. But yeah. the thing is, we need them around. Yeah, it's a whole system. It's this complicated thing where, you know, if you want to eat some bacon, you got to have bees. <laughs> There we go. That's a that's a very good ad for either your future career as an apiarist or uh, a, a weird bacon commercial. Yeah, it's a really weird bacon slash bees commercial. So yeah, the in ocean acidification, uh, uncurable, incurable contagions. Yep. Cancer. And we saw wildfires just all over the planet uh, recently. The droughts that were coming through. The earthquake in Mexico that yeah. just happened. There were two, like two in a row. Wildfires, to to a large degree, if people were just not around, wildfires would exist. Yeah, and it's uh, a part of the system. It's a part of the ecosystem, but it has changed to uh, with catastrophic consequences. Mm-hmm. I I have a questions for a different day. Okay, but I I, I want to see what you think about this. Is war an economic necessity? Oh. Yeah, leave that right there. Okay, uh, yeah. Respond, respond to that question if you don't mind, everybody listening. If we survive. Because, yeah. If I, the world <laughs> is still around, then Whoa. you're like, oh, well, my plans have opened up for the day. Jeez. Uh, then just send us an email and let us know what you think about the idea of wars and economic necessity. My inkling is yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to the end, this is, this is near the end of of our show on the end of the world near the end of the world possibly well we have to remember that the world is ending for someone every day right Mm -hmm. there are history is replete with all these groups and religions and communities that have assumed the world as they know it will collapse and those beliefs can be tied to any number of things and probably depending upon how old you are or definitely how old your parents are, you within your family will be able to find firsthand accounts of something that was in the news that was absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a lot of people, it would be Heaven's Gate or yeah. something, right? Something like that. These things happen more often than you might believe and if you look back and start to build a list of it, you will see that there there are very few years where there wasn't some group predicting the end of the world. And it's a, it's an addictive thing because all the problems that we just named didn't start, you know, on Tuesday. Yeah. It, it can easily feel like the end of the world. And it's true that some of these situations are unsustainable, but does it stop Tomorrow uh, are the beliefs of people who follow these signs in the heavens in this mm. particular interpretation. What happens if they're right? Mm. What happens if somehow, you know, the, the gravity, the perturbations of the orbits didn't change? Yeah. And this thing just came and there was no way to tell except for this uh, amalgamation of interpretations and symbolism. Or what if on Saturday – for the first time in human history, uh, or at least civilization up to this point, we get to see Planet X. We can visually, we can, 
with either the naked eye or with the telescope, it's the first time we can actually see planet X emerging. Oh, right. And it's back from its so it's yeah. thousand thousand year sojourn away from the solar system and back. Yeah, I mean that that is the realest possibility of some of the far, more far out stuff. Mm-hmm. Of we we haven't seen it, and NASA is assuring us that it's not there. But it's just because we haven't been able to observe it yet. The the scientist from 2016, right? Yes. He's, yeah, that I I think that would be so. I, I think that would be tremendously interesting. I mean, honestly, too. I, I I'm remembering that I'm a sucker for visible cosmic events like yeah. this. You know, I was I was such a a curmudgeon when we were going up stairs in our office to mm-hmm. look at the eclipse. I thought, oh, right, here we go. Got to do this thing now. It's going to be dark for what, a couple of minutes? Mm-hmm. I have rooms with light switches. I was <laughs> a jerk about it in my head. But then it starts happening. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's astonishing. So, yeah, it would be both amazing and astonishing to see something uh, like that. But at this point, from what we what we currently understand, the current scientific understanding is that Based on the physics, physically impossible. It would be physically impossible for this sort of object to have this sort of impact date at this point in time just because of the the speeds involved, the, the gravity involved, the visible objects mm-hmm. right? and the effects of such an event on them. But again, it's such a cliffhanger. Yeah. What happens tomorrow? I know. Are you going to stay up till midnight? <laughs> I'm definitely going to monitor. I'm going to monitor the situation. You know, I, j- I just want to see if there if I get a Google alert with Planet X mm-hmm. or Nibiru or, you know, something. A Google alert. That's yeah. how you want to find out. I'm setting up Google alert. So no way, it'll wake me up. I want like a bloody sky, like the sky itself is, is bleeding. I want some crazy, um, uh, Heavy, heavy metal? I don't know. Maybe yeah. something Lovecraftian with like some drums and some tuneless pipes. Some tentacles. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> yeah. If it's the last day, all of it. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, all right. So what do you think is going to happen? Do you, can you feel something in the air right now as you're listening to this? Has something happened? As you're listening to this and as something happens. Yeah, like are you are you listening to this as an after like what just what just occurred? Mm-hmm. Well, uh if the internet still works and you're maybe there's an LTE signal wherever you are, you can find us, you can write to us, you can talk to us about it, ask us questions, tell us what we should cover if again can uh, everything continues. Oh, and just to interject quickly, uh I hope it's not the end of the world. Uh, it'd be cool to hang out with Noel again. Yeah. Does, does he even know? Someone should call him. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff, remember our best suggestions for episodes always come from you. Write to us. We are Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.